Hey everyone. If you didn't know, A Child Walks in the Dark is also a collection of poetry, and it is out and about and available from Harbor Editions as of now. So if you're liking the podcast, these fantastic conversations I've gotten to have with these folks, and you like the poems that end each episode, consider picking up a copy of the book. We can, all of us, I think, uh, use as much poetry in our lives as possible. Thank you. Welcome to A Child Walks in the Dark, a podcast hosted by award-winning poet and author Darren C. Demery. Each week, Darren and a series of other parents in creative careers join up to discuss a different theme or challenge to raising children. Their joy, their narrative and languages, their lineage and authorship, their small towns and cities and hopes, their community and efforts to save and be saved. Each episode explores the role of creative person as a parent as they attempt to navigate the world their young people are growing into. This week's episode is You Might Choose to Read These Poems, and our guest is Aubrey Hirsch. Aubrey Hirsch is a current NEA fellow and the author of Why We Never Talk About Sugar, a short story collection. Her stories, essays, and comics have appeared in The New York Times, Vox, The Nib, Time, American Short Fiction, Black Warrior Review, and elsewhere. You can learn more about her at AubreyHirsch.com or follow her on Twitter at Aubrey Hirsch. Now, Darren and Aubrey Hirsch. <coughs> and as promised today, we have uh, author, fictioneer, current, recent NEA fellow, uh, Aubrey Hirsch. And uh, Aubrey and I have actually been friends for about, I think our friendship's old enough to vote now. I think it's about eight, 18 years. Definitely. But if it, if it breaks into stories, that's, that, that's okay. Um, the topic for today uh, is you might choose to read these poems as in, as someone who's had longish careers like we've already had, um, what happens when, when people and, and specifically our kids um, find all this work we've been doing, um, you know, they've, they've got their Chromebooks and <laughs> they're Googling, they're Googling us already. And um, they're, they're seeing the books, they get to hold these things and uh, get to, get to see you participating in these, these fun literary things. How, how do you think they're going to ultimately find us when they, when they start to? Yeah, this is such a good question. Have your kids Googled you? Yes. They have? Oh, yes. Um, Mine haven't done that. So I did some, uh, they, they had mostly questions about the tattoos. So <laughs> I've done the, um, there's a, a gentleman that does a national tattooed poets thing every year. Uh-huh. And different people will show tattoos and talk about the stories and include poems and different things like that. And so they immediately go from the Google search to the Google mm -hmm. image search. And they're like, Dad, Ooh. I saw your I saw these tattoos on. Um, <laughs> so they 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 went straight to that. Uh -huh. Um other than that, they they get to hold the books. I think the books matter uh -huh. to them more than 
the the weird they'll they've read a couple of interviews where they've had questions really uh, yeah well yeah the oldest is 12 and so uh-huh. there's some legitimate like okay what's going on with this guy sort of sort of question yeah. so yeah. you're you're living in the future i'm not okay. there yet so my kid, you know, they're aware of what I do for a living. They see me work at home. They have seen my book. When my older son was really little, I gave him a copy of my book because it's dedicated to him. And I would show him like where it says his name. And he really liked that. And then we put it on his shelf. It was just like an object, you know. And then one day I was in the kitchen and I hear him when he's like, you know, five or six. And I hear him reading and he's reading a sentence from my book out loud. <laughs> and I could not have wrestled it out of his hands faster if it was a stick of lit dynamite. You know, I was like, ah, okay. You know, like <laughs> we can read now. Um, let me hold that, please. <laughs> what, what's the and, problem? I like that book. What? I've ooh. got a copy upstairs. What are we? Well, so, <laughs> you know, with a five-year-old, there's sure. some adult content in there yeah, a little bit. that I was not ready to talk about with him. It's since the book has found its way back into his room. I've seen it on his shelf, but he has not yet attempted to read it again. And I think I'm like in the lucky place where right now it would just, he would read two sentences of it. He would find it phenomenally boring. You know, it would be like, there's no swords or pirates in here. I'm not reading this trash. And this then, does not mention Paw Patrol one time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then he would put it away. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's coming. They definitely haven't Googled me yet. And when I try to talk to them a little bit about, you know, like uh, on Tuesday when the NEA announcement went live, I tried to like engage my kids with it a little bit and was like, hey, do you guys want to see something cool? Like, look, like here's mom on the website. I mean, they were just like, cool. And then, you know, can we make a maze for our pet hamster with magnetiles? Sure. <laughs> they like, they like the picture. They do. They like to see the picture at the back of the book. Like that's always yeah. like, oh, let me see this. Mm-hmm. Um, or when they're truly engaged, like the most, the biggest question I get is, so what's this one about? Mm. And, and then the eyes start to glaze um because you've you've already started you've done a few interviews about it already and you've got your like catchphrases of this is what it's about (laughs) and then they lose interest and it's definitely like dad I learned something about Lin-Manuel Miranda today that I'd like to explain to you can can we start talking about him yeah and things like and things like that so but it the the idea from the book and the idea from the the poem that ends the collection is at some point you get curious about your parents in, mm-hmm. in a more mature and, and adult way. And that's, that's in the future for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sort of, you start to think about the ways in which they're going to find you in these kind of, I mean, poetry can be a little bit different in terms of vulnerability, but some of your, some of your short stories and some of your comics have been um, incredibly vulnerable pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, how they, they find you as a whole person is it's, it's mystifying to me. And I, I tried to write something where we were going to meet in that place together. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but it's, it's a, it's a complete mystery to me when they're in college and they're trying to explain who their parents are in that very brief, somewhat yeah. drunk way. Um, and, 
it's I I don't know. I'm I am both afraid and eager for that that point to reach. Yeah, I loved your poem. It was so sweet. And it it also really did kind of open something up for me because it could be that I'm just deluding myself, but I've really been like living under the assumption that my kids will always know me in terms of my relationship with them, mm-hmm. you know, in which in some very real ways, I'm like the refrigerator, you know, I'm like an appliance in the home that has a function, which is to help make their life <laughs> easier or better in some way, but that they might always find what I consider to be my very rich inner life just phenomenally boring and not see that as some great yeah. mystery that they're interested in mining. But I like, I like the idea that they might like something kind of nice about that. Well, there's, especially when, when kids are younger and it's, it's an adrenaline sport and it's mm-hmm. almost like they discover you as a parent, as someone who has thumbs and they don't have thumbs mm-hmm. and they're yeah. just like, well, you can do these things. Yeah. You're going to be useful. <laughs> and then they, they figure out how to incorporate uh, that care and time and your uh, ability and willingness to be exhausted for them uh, <laughs> in a, in a way. And that, and that's what matters to them. But I've mm-hmm. seen, and as, as the 12 year old has, has found the, the sort of glimmerings of like, I've gone into their schools to teach poetry uh, and, yes. and written yeah. some silly things that I can't, I can't take any of the books into this elementary school and read anything from them. I've got a poem about burping and a poem about mispronouncing the word hippopotamus over and over again, which by the way, slay. Oh, I bet that kills. Yeah, Just for absolutely. sure. <laughs> Nine lines of saying hippopotamus incorrectly. Just, yeah. Um, and they start to explain a little bit who you are when that happens. Um, and I learned, I learned the hard way to not bring in, because I thought it'd be cool. The kids could see the book and mm-hmm. they could hold a book and be like, oh, yeah. okay, this is it. I get it. Um, and a kid immediately found like the F word. And yeah, of course. Like, They're so like, oh, good okay. at that. They're I'm so just going to, yeah. you can just assume, you can picture that I write books. Um, so there's, there's been some discussion and, and I, I did a fundraiser for the school with a, um, a broadside with the burping poem on it. So there's, there's an idea in the school that their parent writes books and that, you know, so it becomes a little bit more of their, I guess, daily experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm just, I'm fascinated when they went, like when I'm talking about things like addiction, mm-hmm. when I'm talking about um, things like uh, humanism, when I'm talking about these, these sort of bigger things that I've spent a large part of my adult life considering. Yeah how quickly they're going to brush that aside or are they, are they going to pause on it for a minute? And, and how, how will they consider the, these parts that are these parts of me that are, that are big parts of me. And it's, I I'm fascinated by it. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. I think part of my kind of journey and experience with being a writer, because even though I am a writer and I write a lot of um, nonfiction, I am a really private person. You know, I don't like to talk about myself, my kids, you know, on the internet. And so a lot of the process for me of being able to, to keep 
close, what feels important to me to keep close, but also do my job effectively has been like creating a kind of distance between myself as a person and myself as a character in the work. And also like, I don't write about something, you know, it's interesting when you're in your introduction, you had said like a lot of your stories or a lot of your work like feels really vulnerable. And that's like what I'm, that's what I want. That's how I want it to feel. But for me, that's a lot of that is just crafted. You know, I don't, I really don't write about the things that feel particularly vulnerable to me just because I've lived enough of my life as a writer on the internet to know that I, I don't think that would feel good or necessarily be a healthy thing for me, you know, when, when you start to get the responses back. And I mean, you know how people are on the internet. So like, I really only write about something if I feel like there's not a way for it to be weaponized. And I think I'll probably feel the same way when my kids find that stuff, you know, I'll feel like I have this kind of like healthy distance from it. They can ask me questions about it and I can answer them, but I can also tell them the truth, which is like, this is an essay about my experience. This is not my experience, <laughs> you know, and I can tell you more about what my experience actually is. And I'll, I can share that with them because, you know, I, I love them and I'm very close with them, but like the, I look at this, thing and in some ways like it's its own thing mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah well and especially being guarded about when when work gets released and discussed um mm -hmm. by strangers on the internet um you know sometimes it becomes a thing unto itself in a way that is just not appropriate or not safe and mm -hmm. so you know i imagine uh, when things get away it Guarded is the best way, but it sounds like you figured out a way um, to, to craft and skill your way through it um, in, a, in a way that, that keeps it almost, once, once it's done, once it's out mm -hmm. in the world, um, you know which, which parts of you are in it and which parts of you are execution. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of skill. And honestly, I know we're not terribly old, but <laughs> ma maturity in that. A lot of folks can't get to that point. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's really just like a coping mechanism or like, how can I do the job? You know, and I, I see people who do it differently and like who really write things that don't just feel raw, raw and vulnerable, but are really raw and vulnerable. And I have a lot of respect for that. Like, I think I look at those people and I think they're so much braver than I am. <laughs> You know, like I never could do that. And it's probably why I have only written truly, truly terrible poetry. It just that the idea of doing that is like what feels scary to me, you know, like where I, I rather feel totally like in control over my experience, my experience of the work and also your experience of the work. You know, it's like you're going to feel like this, but that's that's not necessarily how I feel. That's just how you're going to feel, you know. Well, in the, it's interesting when you make the connection to something else, it starts from a, a personal point, but then, so like when I write about my own addiction, there's, um, a different level of success to those poems, as opposed to like with two towns over and writing about addiction in Ohio, mm -hmm. it's that, it's that extra layer in connection that you end up sort of embracing the skill and the challenge of trying to make it about 
it's, it's personal, but it's about something bigger than yourself mm -hmm. and trying to connect it with a whole other group of people. Mm -hmm. And that execution has always been much more successful for me than that sort of like uh, emotionally pulpy uh, kind of thing, which, which you, and you know, you end up, especially writing in early drafts and, and, yeah. and things like that. Um, but it sounds like you've, you've managed a way to not just, um, tell your parts of the story, but to tell them in a way that connects, uh, to other people on that same kind of level and helps them sort of the piece itself has feelings that are, um, enhanced from your own almost. Yeah. I think that's what I try to do. You know, like I have this one comic and, you know, I know you've seen this piece, but I also know, you know, this story because, you know, Steve about when we, um, you know, my boyfriend at the time, Steve, who's Dar very good friend of Darren's, went down to New Orleans and we we found ourselves like the in the middle of the night victims of a armed home invasion where, you know, this guy just like broke, broke into the house and laid us down on the floor and held us at gunpoint for a while. And, you know, just like one of those like truly terrifying experiences. And, um, you know, whenever people would learn that I had had that experience, they would always ask me like, why haven't you not written about that? <laughs> and I think it, it just felt like I, I had nothing to say about it except like, God, that was awful, you know, but that's not, to me, that's not enough, you know, or, or I'm not going to write something that just to say, like, look at this awful thing that happened to me. And then when I started making comics, I kind of revisited that piece again. And what that piece ended up being about is like the way that the way that trauma and memory work together or sort of don't work together, the ways that trauma impacts one's memory and like image rather than language as being kind of the vocabulary of trauma. And then I felt like I had a piece, but my hope is that when you enter the piece, like maybe you're entering it because it's going to be a story about gun violence. But when you're leaving the piece, it's, I'm hoping that the reader, instead of thinking about me, is more thinking about themselves and like the ways in which all of our, our memories kind of get shaped by the things that happen to us and the way that that can change the way that we feel about something. That was important to me. Like, I, I don't want people at the end of my work to be thinking about me. I want them to be thinking about themselves. Yeah. And I'm always obsessed with the, the art that I can't do. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just people that can paint well blow blow my mind mm -hmm. and so i end up thinking about poetry in the same way of you're you're not doing self-portraits you're doing a landscape and if you mm. put yourself in it you're that little thing behind the windmill or you're that and maybe someone catches a glimpse of you if they're really looking but mm -hmm. you set up the whole parameters of the experience that's that's what the skill of writing is it's entry points and exit points it's energy mm -hmm. and music it's finding a way um, to encourage a certain experience and mm -hmm. work, working on it that way, not, not only protects you a little bit in terms of trauma. Um, like when I, when I write anything about, uh, growing up and, and, and in that house, I always talk about a lack of oxygen. I always talk mm -hmm. about, um, how quiet things were because, the actual trauma of the situation was super loud and a little mm -hmm. scary. And, but the way that we process that as an adult is much more like impending. 
because yeah. that that's always, you know, could this happen? Could this happen again? And when you're talking about you and Steve getting held up, that in itself was a traumatic experience, but it's also creates the, well, this happened, it could happen again. Yeah. And totally. how, <laughs> how, how do we process um, not just what happened to us, but how we're going to exist in a world where this isn't just a story. This is something that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets, it gets difficult and it's challenging to, to move into that, that, that part of a creative process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think too, like, I'm, I'm always really wary of, um, I think this has gotten better, but there was that period of time, like, you know, 10, seven years ago where like, it seemed like the goal of the internet was to like, write about your worst possible trauma and get paid $50. And it was like, (laughs) here, like, all you have to do is like, write a really descriptive 2,500 words about the Mm -hmm. worst thing that ever happened to you. And it, it felt like so weird to me, you know, like the, the kind of trauma zoo where you just like inviting people to like come and look at these awful things, but there's no, there's no other engagement, but that, you know, it's just like, it's just the gawking after the experience, they don't hold on to it. There's, there's nothing that sort of exists after that first telling of it. Mm -hmm. And there's not, you know, you never want to minimize someone's trauma, but there's not a lot of craft to it. There's not. Um, and I, you know, I used to write little capsules for something called Buckeyes Daily. I do not fault anyone getting fifty dollars for no. For oh yeah, hell no. Get your money. All. Yeah. But you know, I I think the the challenge of it is not just to bring in and and shock. The challenge of it is to um, make not just the writing a process, but to make the reading a process and an experience that can hopefully you know, supersede the, the narrative that's ongoing. Yeah. And my, my issue for sure is not with any of those writers, like, especially if that's helpful for them in any way, like if they, if it's helpful to be seen, if it's helpful to share, I'm all for that. My problem is with the, just the, the capitalism of it all, or the, the economy that we built on the internet, which was basically to say to like, it felt a bit exploitive, you know, like that we could say to a young writer, like, here, you can get a lot of views on your piece. You're going to probably get a lot of nasty comments, but like, maybe it'll platform you a little bit, but here's what you have to do. And that to me, like, feels a bit ugly. Well, and it's, it's short-sighted. Um, mm-hmm. It's tough to be long-sighted, I guess, when you're yeah. <laughs> far-sighted, when you're, when you're 20, 25, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe the process of it helps, but I, from the perspective of the art, maybe not so much. Yeah. Um, how does, I wanted to ask, how does the, the drawing and the, the comics part of it play in? Like, how, how do your kids receive that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's been fun, like, seeing that kind of evolve. They definitely see me working a lot. They always want to know what I'm writing and I'll give them like kind of an age appropriate recap of what it is I'm talking about. And then they want to peruse it to see if I've used any inappropriate language. They're absolutely bonkers for inappropriate language. Aren't we all? Uh, (laughs) It's true. I really am. Especially my older son. And my younger son is a bit more like chastised. He'll chastise me about it. 
So mm-hmm. he'll see it like that. I've written someone saying, oh, fuck. And he'll say, mom, what <laughs> if some because I'll tell him I write for grownups, right? But he'll say, what if a grown up is reading it and a child comes and is looking at their phone? <sighs> and I'll say, good point, Mo. And I'll erase it and write, you know, oh, darn. And then as soon as he leaves the room, I'm like, OK, like, now I got to redo that <laughs> where I write. Oh, fuck. Um, so that part's kind of fun. And then they also like they want to help. So they'll do fl- flats for a lot of my comics where they'll do the part where it's just like coloring in like a coloring book. It takes, you know, five times as long as it would take for me to just do it myself, but it's sweet and they like to be involved. And then I'll show it to them when the comic goes up and they'll say like, do they get paid for it? Definitely not. You've set, you've set up a little factor. (laughs) (laughs) It's purely on a volunteer basis where they'll enjoy like sitting down to do it for five minutes or whatever. And then they mostly, I think they mostly like it because having to learn how to draw and learn how to use these various programs now I have a skill which is very useful to them what do they ask you to draw everything I mean the amount of Captain Underpants fan art I have produced is truly breathtaking also my older son has just finished his first book a book of Greek mythology and we went on illustrator and like made it like laid it out really nice and made illustrations for every page Super cool. yeah so they they really like and I can make you know like when it's valentine's time and you know my son wants to make a valentine that looks like him as the dark magician on a Yu-Gi-Oh card it's like hey you know like let's do it we can totally like make that stuff happen we made um birthday party invitations for uh Thomas for I think it was his sixth birthday Mm-hmm. and we turned him into a Pokemon card. <laughs> and still to this day, this is three and a half years later, kids at the school will ask for like, can you make me into a Pokemon card? Like, cause this is incredible. Aww. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm, gl- yeah, I'm, gl- so- I'm glad you got the, the fan art going on the Captain Underpants. Yeah, they totally like, they're really into that kind of stuff. So they mostly like get in with it for that. But I, I think other than that, you know, I'll tell them what I'm writing about. And a lot of times I write, write about, you know, social justice stuff, especially like gender equality stuff. And so I'll tell them, like, here's here's the deal. Like, do you think that's fair? And they'll say no. And I'll say, yeah, th- so that's what I'm writing about is to say, like, here's this thing that's going on. It's not fair. But that's the level. That's the extent of their engagement with it so far. Sure. And that that's actually something that's come up a few times while recording this is um, sort of how those discussions move forward, um, how the things that we write about end up starting discussions sometimes. And it's mm-hmm. discussions that have to be sort of at that early reader level. Mm-hmm. Um, but it keeps them, their, their minds keep going after you have the discussions and it ends up being part of the things they talk about at school. Um, mm-hmm. My daughter is still currently harassing the principal and vice principal about recycling better at the school yes, good for her. and things like that. And there's a lot of, um, sort of walking, walking around, like swinging her arms because she's on a mission to do different things around the school nice. and everyone sort of like, which is hilarious because Belle is like this little gymnast who's just uh-huh. like a, a, a ball of muscle and people are getting in her way. And she's like, no, you guys don't understand. Like, that's so great. I love um, that. It's, it's pretty fantastic, but 
get, getting to have those conversations and getting to, to see where it takes their minds and how they experience things. And just like, there's always that moment of, huh, you know, that's, yeah. you're right. That's not, that's not right. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't understand. Uh, and you're, you're getting them sort of before the societal pressures have, have kicked yeah. in and they sort of get, then when those pressures come in it just, it agitates them a little bit and you can mm-hmm. see them sort of processing, well, what you're saying isn't quite right. And here's what I think. And here's mm-hmm. what, um, and that's in terms of parenting dramatically underrated to start, I think having those conversations, the age of your kids and it, yeah. it compounds itself and makes them super ornery by the time they're 12. <laughs> and, I, and I, and I love it. <laughs> it's great. I mean, they, and they really do call stuff out. I, it's also taught me a lesson in like talking to them about things that are general versus things that are specific. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I'm writing a comic about like the uneven division of labor in a typical household based on gender, for example, I have now learned to also include in that conversation, like your dad is very good at doing housework and my partner, Ben, you know, he's very good at contributing his share. So it's not everybody, but you know, a thing can be generally true, but we still don't have to like vilify a specific person. So that that's a lesson that I learned the hard way. And then also I had my, you know, I have also written a lot about like body image in the media and things like that. And I got a really funny note from my son's teacher was like, we were doing, we do this exercise where I have all these different rhymes to help them learn to write letters, you know, like across the line and down from heaven, that's the way you make a seven. She's like, so I was doing the one for five and it's like a line down belly fat number five, where's a hat. She's like, and Mo raised his hand and was like, excuse me, that's body shaming. I don't know if you need to be <laughs> describing Finally. the five. It was so funny. <laughs> but then I found myself in the weird position of having this like incredibly nuanced conversation with him where I had to say like, the word fat as a descriptive does not have to be bad. You know, or we have to be careful because our society has put a lot of baggage on this word and a lot of people weaponize it. But to have a body that's fat is not a problem. And I'm like, what am I doing? You know, like these are like conversations that, you know, I feel like grownups are trying to have about like different ways that we can address these things. I'm trying to have it with like my four-year-old. It's very. <laughs> well, you're, you're, you're trained at this point. You're ready and you're ready. You're ready. And fine. You know, I'm just glad he stood up for the number five. And sweet. yeah, absolutely. It's such, we're dancing around this idea, uh, but it all sort of, it, it winnows down to, to, to empathy, you know, I, I, yeah. I think, and having children that consider things and consider people outside of themselves, which is super difficult for a child to do. <laughs> really hard. And, it, and it takes, it is honestly, um, it's even like an age switch things where right now my youngest is three. Mm-hmm. And when she gets to be four or five, she's finally going to really start to consider other people more. And it's, it's an awareness and it's, it's having those conversations and it's, um, you know, they, they throw fewer shoes at you at that point. And <laughs> that's, it's all, it's all a good thing. <laughs> Yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's so funny. Like it's only just occurring to me in this conversation, but that is like so much of the project of what I try to do with my work is like make it face outward. And then also so much of the project of parenting too, is to try to get your kids to also 
uh, you know, start to understand ways in which they can face outward as well? Well, I, the, the biggest realization I've had in the years of parenting so far is that it's almost, it's, it's so rarely about the answer you give them and almost exclusively about you reframing the question for them. Hmm. And then if they can take that next step into forming an answer, then it, it, it sticks much more than if just, well, this is how it is. And this is the way it should be. And mm-hmm. you, you walk away from the situation when it becomes a dialogue and it begins with, well, why do you think this way? Mm-hmm. What if we thought about it this way? Where, where would sort of that conversation take you? Yeah. Um, oh my God. I love that. It's so deep, dear. I feel like my biggest parenting realization is only by one kind of sock just buy one kind of sock and then they That's all brilliant. match each other. Do not, do not undervalue that. That's, that. <laughs> that and make, and this is, this is, this is going to happen later today. Make okay. the big adventure somewhere you can walk to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, yeah, we're going to walk down to the one. store and pick up some sushi and dessert for lunch. And that's, mm-hmm. that's 30 minutes instead of two hours. <laughs> yeah. so, fantastic. <laughs> um, anyway, I, Thank you, Aubrey, for getting to talk about all these things. It's always great to see you. Hopefully, we'll get to see you in uh, Philadelphia this year if everyone's still showing up. I know. I don't Is know. Is it going to happen, Darren? I don't, I don't know. Um, anyway, so thank you. Thank you very much. And, thank uh, you for having me. Sure. This is always, it's always fun and always get to see. Last, last time we did a, a cooking show together and yeah. you, were, you were threatening me with, a, at that point, like a 12-year-old chapbook that- It's in I the- have, in this, my storage it made in, it made it to new york oh hell yeah yeah uh, it's in one of these boxes i need to dig it out so i can uh put some stuff on instagram please please know that at the earliest possible time i will be breaking in and <laughs> well listen i'll yeah. i'm gonna list it on ebay and so if you're There's, the highest bidder you can have this, it this has already happened. There's a bookstore like in Arizona that got a copy of a college chapbook of mine and they've been like trying to sell it for like $75. Really? And it says it's inscribed. I don't know how drunk I was at a party at Worcester <laughs> that like I put something in there. They're like, this is worth a lot of money. That's kind of boring. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but hopefully we'll get to see you soon. And, and thanks again for today. I, I also want to thank uh, Emily Caldwell for recording the introduction. Uh, and thank uh, the band Pagination for recording all the music. Uh, We've got a bunch more of these coming uh, here this spring with with folks as, as wonderful as Aubrey. So thank you again. Thank you so much. You might choose to read these poems. I told my children you might choose to read these poems in the bareness and anxiety of your young adulthood while you search for me in the thousands and thousands of poems I have written so that I could explore, so that I could explain, so that I could hide and lie about some small terribleness. And it gives me endless joy that you will find me here, right here, right now, 
as bare as you are, but feeling no anxiety at all because I am with my children in some small way in the future, when I love you even more than I already do, because that's how real love works. It grows with the epic. It encircles the epic until you cannot tell why or how any of this began, but you know, you know, you know that if there is such a thing as a soul, it exists to be buoyed by moments like this.